Cabin the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is December 27th. We are back. We're going to talk about why Green Bay Packers have an authority problem. Run through golden kegs of the Packers win over the Carolina Panthers. We're also going to talk about the national media not actually apologizing to the Milwaukee Bucks. And then lastly, we will talk about Marquette beating Georgetown. I know it was a while ago, but it's been a while since we've gotten on the pod. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter. We had a great response to the Corbin Burns video I did uh, on Twitter. I will make sure to be doing more of those. Uh, it's just a matter of time in terms of getting them all together and putting you know thought behind them and ones that are worth it and not worth it. Um, so hopefully, I, I think I have one for the Bucks today that I'm going to cook up. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, I love the response. If you're following or you're listening to the pod from here, uh, welcome in. Uh, here's what we have have to offer for you. Uh, also, uh, we are on other channels such as Instagram, Tabby the Keg Sports, Tabby the Keg Sports on TikTok, getting close to 900 followers on TikTok. Uh, close to a thousand on on Twitter. Uh, it's been a grind on both of those. Facebook as well. Tapping the Keg Sports. I, I kind of want to do a giveaway. Uh, I have a ton of bobbleheads. I have a ton of memorabilia that I could certainly give away. I think I've talked about that in the past, but I've never pulled the trigger. Maybe this is the time to do it. Uh, show schedule for this week. Uh, we will be on all week. Uh, wrapping up on Friday, and then TBD if we'll have a show on Monday uh, on New Year's Day. Uh, for sure on new, on the second of the year, uh, recapping the Packers, recapping Bucks Pacers. As you know, that is going to be a war uh, here in Milwaukee. So we'll have to talk about that and maybe some college football as well, just because of the day that it is. Uh, but yeah, we will certainly have shows all week. Mitch will not be joining me on Tabby the Keg, but we might have a special guest to do Tabby the Keg. I got to work with him on that. So stay tuned in that regard as well. All right. And oh yeah, Apple, Spotify, uh, all the podcasts, uh, make sure that you're subscribed. Uh, we're everywhere. Uh, so if you are new, uh, we do this usually four days a week. Uh, typically we do not have days off on Monday, but Christmas or Tuesday. So uh, it just, here's the thing. Uh, on Christmas, took a lot out of me. Uh, and then I had to get going to work, but I was just beat, man. If I didn't work uh, on Tuesday, I would have had a podcast for you guys, but I had to work. So uh, I, I couldn't really I couldn't really muster just the energy. I, I was still kind of getting my bearings. I'm back. I'm ready to roll, and that's why we have a podcast today. And let's let's just say I'm not not still okay with what happened with the Packers on Sunday. So let's get into it. The Green Bay Packers survived the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they barely beat the Carolina Panthers, the worst team in football, basically because Joe Barry is the worst defensive coordinator in all of football. He might be the worst coordinator offense defense in the NFL. Uh, he is an absolute joke, uh, and we all know that. And we don't respect Joe Barry. And I don't know if the players respect Joe Barry either. I don't know if there is really any respect for the Green Bay Packers coaching staff. I think that you have a situation where you have the inmates running the asylum. And I realize that's a charged term in today's society. So no one cancel me for that. But seriously, like I don't think that anybody respects Matt LaFleur or Joe Barry or anyone else on that coaching staff for that matter. And I don't really think they respect Jordan Love. And that, and that is not a knock on Jordan Love. Jordan Love has been great. Jordan Love has put up one of the best offenses in football over the last six weeks. Like he's doing great shit. But I don't think Jordan Love commands a locker room like, say, an Aaron Rodgers or when Brett Favre was here, Brett Favre. I don't think he's there yet. I think in two or three years, Jordan Love is going to be the big swinging dick in the crack fire. It might be it next year, right? And maybe that's something that Jordan Love will have to work on. It, it comes with time. That doesn't happen overnight. So I'm not, this isn't a diss at Jordan Love. It's a bigger problem with Matt LaFleur and the fact that they do not have, no one respects Matt LaFleur. And I don't think the fans do. I don't think the players do. And it's a real problem. It's a real problem for Green Bay. And Joe Barry keeping his job is part of that issue. It shows a gutless guy as the head coach. It shows a guy 
that is not willing to take a chance, not willing to throw it kind of out there to say, we have to try something new. We have to do something different because what we're doing is not working. The fact that Tommy DeVito, Baker Mayfield, and Bryce Young all looked like MVP candidates is pathetic. And I know that we've said it. I know every Packer podcast has went on for that. But how can you respect a man when he is not making a change? And he is not saying that we need to shake up what the Green Bay Packers are doing. There is none of that. And how can they go to work each day and say, yeah, we believe in what this guy is selling? There is no way. There's absolutely none. And it to me, it, it's a glaring issue with this Green Bay Packer team. My father, who I spent time with because it was Christmas, obviously cooked a divine rib roast. I will send pictures if you ask on Twitter. Um, I, can, I will definitely do that for you or Instagram or whatever, however you may do it had a take that kind of floored me a little bit because he's not a hot take guy. Like he just isn't. Like he is pretty even keeled. Uh, he isn't a guy that I have to settle down. Every now and again, he has some wild conspiracy theories, but more about the Brewers. Like if, you know, guys aren't playing well I, or well at home that their wives are nagging him. Like old school boomer shit, but I love him for it. I, and I love him as a sports fan. And we were chopping it up and he was talking to me about how he thinks that Matt LaFleur should be fired too. That it should be Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur. They both should go. Because basically Matt LaFleur's loyalty is head in the sand behavior and that he doesn't have what it takes to be a head coach because he cannot make the hard decisions. And that was something we talked about last week when I talked about the crossroads that Matt LaFleur faces. But I think as this continues, as you continue to see the lack of authority that Matt LaFleur actually has on this team, it's frankly alarming. Matt LaFleur looks like a pushover. Matt LaFleur is a shadow gangster. If you're unfamiliar with that term, Kevin Garnett one time called, or Zach Randolph one time called Kevin Garnett that. Zach Randolph, definite gangster. Uh, Kevin Garnett, apparently a shadow gangster. And that's Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur can yell, he can scream, he can be mad at his players. But I don't know how much it matters. I don't know if it really resonates he is not a tough ass. He is not a guy that is going to get in your grill when you fuck up and be mad at you for the entire game. The generate He is not of the generation of Bill Belichick, Sean Payton for, for starters, right? And, and you could say, well, maybe there's something wrong with that. Uh, Mike McCarthy, I think, is a hard ass. He's a hard ass in a different way, right? I, I think Mike McCarthy is more of a hard ass in just sort of his demeanor and kind of what he brings to the table. I don't necessarily think Mike McCarthy shows himself as a hard ass, but he doesn't also seem like a happy-go-lucky guy. He's pretty even keel. Mike Tomlin, another guy like that, that kind of, he he's more of a hard ass. Sean McDermott, more of a hard ass. And I, I just don't see, and Kyle Sh I think Kyle Shanahan is a bit of a hard ass. I think Sirianni's a bit of a hard ass. And Shanahan, you could say, oh, Brock Purdy was hurt, but it looked like Brock Purdy got benched yesterday. And he looked like he rode with Sam Darnold. Sirianni decided to demote Sean Desai for Matt Patricia. Now, has it worked? Not really. But guess what? Nick Sirianni was fucking desperate. Nick Sirianni knew that what the Philadelphia Eagles were doing defensively was not working. And Matt Patricia, who has been a clusterfuck, really for a, for basically a decade of football, right? He hasn't been the guy that, that we knew back in the day that was this revered defensive coordinator. But still, Sirianni was like, I have to try something else. And Matt LaFleur has completely ignored that, has completely not even thought about that, has not even said, you know what? We should go with Greg Williams, the defensive uh, backs coach for the Packers, who's coached on a bunch of teams. We should look at Jerry Montgomery. We should look at somebody else, Rich Bisaccia, honestly. I know Rich has done a shit job as a special teams coordinator, but Rich Bisaccia has probably coached everything. I don't know. Something different. Yet Matt LaFleur is okay with being status quo. Is that the sign of a good coach? Or is that a sign of a guy who just 
doesn't necessarily have what it takes to be one of the elite guys in the league and that the players see right through it. This is a different Packers team than what they had last year and what they had years before. Aaron Rodgers was running things in terms of the disciplinarian. Aaron Rodgers made sure that guys wanted to play for Aaron, that they wanted to do the right thing by Aaron, that Aaron led by example. Aaron commended that respect because he was a multiple time MVP. It's similar to when you play with Tom Brady, when you play with LeBron James, when you play with Peyton Manning, when you even play with Patrick Mahomes, who's younger. Like, you need to step up to the plate with those kind of guys. But again, going back to the comment about Love earlier, like, we don't have that with Jordan Love just yet. Jordan Love doesn't have an MVP. Jordan Love doesn't have a playoff one, a playoff appearance for that matter. And once Jordan Love starts stacking that shit up, then we're going to start to see like Jordan Love command that respect and be able to control the locker room. There is no fucking leadership in that locker room. You have Aaron Jones, who's great, who wears the heart on his sleeve. And I think Aaron Jones is a great leader for that matter. That said, that said, Aaron Jones is one guy. He is one guy. You don't have David Bakhtiari there, who I think would have been a massive help. And and part of the reason why I was banging on the table earlier in the year to say, don't get rid of David Bakhtiari because you need as much veteran leadership as possible. Jair Alexander is on another fucking planet. And I'm going to get to Jair in a second. He wants to be all this alien bullshit and he's clearly playing the part. Kenny Clark, whatever leadership skills he has, he needs to go to some LinkedIn school and learn them better. Same goes for Preston Smith. Same goes for Elton Jenkins, who's younger, but still. There is not enough leadership on this team and it leads to undisciplined football. The Packers are the one of the most, if not the most penalized football teams in all of the NFL. And you can point to, well, that's just a young team. But it's a young team, but it's also a team that doesn't necessarily have consequences when they fuck up. I'm not saying bench a guy if he fumbles, but I'm also saying like, if you play like shit, you're out. If you do dumb stuff, get the fuck out. We don't need you out there. If you're doing dumb things penalty wise, then you can't be a part of this, okay? And I don't know if Matt LaFleur has that standard. I really don't. And Jair Alexander to me was the last straw of this. Jair Alexander talks to Rob Domofsky after the game and says, oh, I wasn't a team captain. Like I originally, when Jair was out there, I was like, oh, this is a sign of good faith. This is the Green Bay Packers sort of olive branching, subtweeting us a little bit to say like, hey, Jair and us are cool. Like that he actually had a pretty bad shoulder injury. Jair came out there on his own. Jair actually fucked up the coin flip that the refs had to fix and, and took it easy on him. He called the coin toss even though he wasn't the team captain and felt like he deserved to be captain because he was in Charlotte. Guys, I haven't played the NFL. I played a little bit of D3. I played high school football. I played 10 years of football. I have never ever in my life heard anyone make themselves a captain. I've never heard it in the NFL either in terms of all my years of being a fan of NFL football. This is unhinged behavior. And again, an example of a locker room that does not respect Matt LaFleur. And it goes back to the Joe Barry decision. If you fire Joe Barry and you say there is a new person in town, even if it's a guy that they've been coaching with, at least there's a new voice. At least there's a new voice to get into people's faces, hold people accountable. No, there is no accountability here. And it starts with Joe Barry and it ends with Matt LaFleur. And that is why there should be real questions about Matt LaFleur's future. I think Matt LaFleur is a really smart guy. I think Matt LaFleur has helped develop Jordan Love. But it is clear as day to me that they need an authoritarian on the defense. And if these defensive guys don't like it, well, they can fuck off and find a new team. Mike Zimmer is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. 
I think Mike Zimmer is about as red-ass as it can get. I think he can be a true asshole. That set and a egomaniac and a guy who wants to stick his fingers into everything. That said, I think it's what this Packers defense needs because we've gone so far the other way that we need to course correct it. And we're probably gonna have issues with that. And there's probably gonna be issues with LaFleur and Zimmer's ego. And maybe those guys will get along. Remember, they had some frosty handshakes in the NFC North rivalry. So maybe there's nothing there. But that in lies the problem. Matt LaFleur needs to get tougher as a coach because if people continue to not respect you, you're gonna be the same undisciplined football team year in, year out, even if Joe Barry is out as defensive coordinator. Let's move on to Golden Kegs. Golden Kegs is something we do every week. We talk about the best and worst from the Green Bay Packers using kegs, because we're tapping a keg, duh. Uh, Five kegs being the best, one keg being the worst. Uh, If I were to have a Golden Keg beer, uh, we have never done this before, but why not? I would probably say uh, Pillow Top from 1840 is probably my favorite beer that I've been drinking recently. Um, I have a quite a collection of beer. I would like to call myself a craft beer collector. I'm not a snob, but I have a great amount of craft beers and I would say Pillow Top by 1840 is a favorite. I really like this new, I think it's called Low Country uh, from Burlington, Wisconsin. That's pretty good. Uh, they, I have a hazy IPA from them. Um, so yeah, that 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 that's all great um, and, and really, really do enjoy uh, what I, you know, the selection of beers. But yeah, that would be a golden keg for me. But anyways, five kegs goes to Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones was great, you know, really sort of unleashed Aaron Jones, 21 carries, 127 yards, average six yards carry, had a long of 39. He did not get in the end zone, which was tragic. Uh, he also had one catch for eight yards. But like, welcome back, Aaron Jones. And I agree with a lot of people that said, what does this team look like if Aaron Jones is healthy all year? I mean, it is a great question, right? I think Green Bay tried to load manage him a little bit and then it backfired because then he gets hurt in that Los Angeles Chargers game. That was their toughest stretch of football. They do get Aaron Jones now back for the stretch run and he ran all over a bad Carolina team. I actually think Jones should have got the ball 30 times. And I, I, I really think that they could have rode Jones a little bit more, but it's great to see Aaron Jones back. And it's too bad he couldn't get in the end zone for a touchdown, but still an awesome day for Aaron Jones. Uh, he really played well. Um, and I was really impressed with just all that I saw from the Packers running back. And I hope that, you know, this is a sign of things to come. Uh, also five kegs to Romeo Dobbs catch. And honestly, Romeo Dobbs played pretty well. Uh, he had four catches for 79 yards. He had the big 36-yard catch for the Green Bay Packers it, to basically win the game. Uh, and it was reviewed, and Adam Thielen bitched about it. We need to put Adam Thielen on the one keg list, by the way, which I'll do. Um, but that was just a great catch by Dobbs. And the fact that he was able to pull it in, uh, I know Dobbs has sort of become the odd man out in terms of what the Green Bay Packers are and the future of the Green Bay Packers because he just doesn't really have a place with what Green Bay is trying to do. I still like some of the stuff from Romeo Dobbs. I just think he needs to get a little bit faster. And I don't know, maybe he just can't get faster, right? Maybe he just doesn't have that. But his hands are so fucking good. And I just think you can't ignore that part of Romeo Dobbs' game. So the fact that he was able to go up and get it, you know, on a vertical route, it's not exactly his specialty, but he's able to do it. And I think you just got to trust his hands. And the Love-Dobbs relationship was a thing early in the season. It kind of faded. Now it's a thing again. Uh, Romeo Dobbs stepped up when he needed to. The Packers were down receivers with Reed and Watson both out this week. And he made a huge catch when it mattered the most. Uh, Four kegs, Jordan Love. Jordan Love keeps playing great, man. Uh, Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, seven for 17 for 28 quarterback rating of 109 his QBR was 90 I'm not a huge QBR fan but 7.8 on the average like solid solid stuff you have a good PFF grade uh, Jordan Love continues to impress he actually has similar actually same numbers as Brock Purdy who was the proverbial MVP until Monday night uh, it's really interesting stuff to just watch the year Love is having and I know some people want to put Jordan Love in the MVP conversation. 
I just don't think you can give an MVP to a guy who's had a team lose eight eight games. Like I, I just really, I, I can't see it. Or is it eight? Yeah, it's eight. Packers are at eight eight wins or eight losses for the year. Excuse me. So I just, I can't, I can't get there. Um, I, I would love to. The stats are great, but there, there's more to that. Like you got to win a few more games. Like if the Packers were right there with the Lions with the division. I think we could have a true discussion about it, but we can't. So, but it's been a very impressive year one for Jordan Love. He's checked really every box. I think every box has been checked in, and he's getting better each week. And I think that's the encouraging thing, right? The catch that, I think it was Dobbs too. Yeah, Dobbs had the touchdown catch. And it was that corner out that he ran with Jaden Reed last week. That was an incompletion. It was the exact same play. And he hits Dobbs perfectly for a touchdown. And that to me is, again, those are those little things you keep seeing from him. And, it, and the other thing that I've loved from Jordan is the fact that he's been able to, you know, be on the run a little bit better. Like his throwing on the run doesn't look so hurried and look so rushed. Are his feet still an issue? Yeah. But again, like kind of what we talked about with the leadership stuff in the earlier part of the pod, like it's going to get there. It's going to come with time. Okay. So yeah, great stuff from Jordan Love. 4K is also at Preston Smith. Really good game for Preston Smith. It's been a while since we've seen a good Preston Smith game, but he played well in this one. I uh, had one and a half tackles. He hit the quarterback four times in this one. Uh, solid game from P off the edge. Um, it's been nice to see that um, again, because it's been a while since we've really seen Preston Smith show up in a big way in a game. And maybe it's just feeling the pressure of Van Ness and Rashawn Gary, who continued to play well. Um, Gary was kind of a non-factor, but Van Ness had a solid game again. And so maybe it's Preston Smith's sort of last stand. You know, it's probably very unlikely he will be up beyond this team next year, but it was really good stuff to see, at least in this game, and maybe a final push in these final few weeks of the season. Uh, other four keg to Rasheed Walker. I've been really impressed with Rasheed Walker. Uh, he held his own against Brian Burns, who's one of the better pass rushers in the league. Brian Burns was pretty much a ghost. Like we did not hear Brian Burns' name at all. He did not make any big plays in this game. Uh, Rasheed Walker has played really well uh, the last six weeks. He's really come on strong. I was pretty much out on Rasheed Walker and now I'm back in. Um, and that's the perils of young, young players, right? You will have those weeks where you absolutely love him. You have weeks where you absolutely hate him. But Rasheed Walker has done really well. And that Minnesota game will be a big one. He's really struggled in the game against the Vikings earlier this season. And so it'll be a great test to see if Rasheed Walker can still do it. But I've pretty much moved away from thinking they need to draft a tackle early. Um, I, I don't think that that is something that is on my priority list anymore. Um, I just think that... They have enough talent with Bakhtiari assuming to come back because of just the way the contract works. I have 0.0 idea how they could trade David Bakhtiari with the contract he has. And I, as much as the Jets want to believe that they could get David Bakhtiari, I, I don't know how they do it with the contract. I really don't. Like I, I know there could be a way, but I also don't know what David Bakhtiari want to play on that MetLife turf. Like given all the stuff, and I... I I know I was a little harder on David Bakhtiari than I probably should have been. I think it was just really frustrating stuff from him, just given all that he had said about the year, whatever. And I, I, I regret that. You know, I think we always have regrets about stuff we we have takes on. Like, are you sure he's going to want to play in New York? I don't know, man. Um, but we'll have to see. That's another conversation for another day. But it's a long way of me saying I think they're going to tackle for a bit. So I'm okay with that. Um, also, Bo Melton for Keg. Uh, Tazim Waid, uh, Christian Watson's dad, uh, said that Bo Melton was their best deep threat after Christian Watson. A couple of my buddies made fun of that. But man, Bo Melton eh, showed a little something, man. He, he, he was, looked like a ball player out there. Uh, four catches, 44 yards. Uh, really solid stuff from him. And, you know, looked the part. And that's all you can ask for. When a guy's filling in, if he can look the part, that, that's always really encouraging. And the Packers continue to find wide receiver talent. And 
They've just been great at identifying it. And hopefully they can hold on to Bo Melton, part of an active roster. But if, if he's on a practice squad, it would not surprise me if a team like the Kansas City Chiefs could use a Bo Melton, right? Maybe they maybe they get Bo Melton and they try to, to bring one of theirs guys in. But uh, I've been I was impressed with what I saw from Bo and I hope that he gets more opportunities. And I know it's hard once these guys all come back, but yeah, it was it was good stuff from him. Lastly, Carl Brooks. Carl Brooks continues to really play well in terms of the interior. I think Carl Brooks is your interior lineman starter next year. I, I He's too small to be there for Kenny Clark, but I think you're going to have Carl Brooks. Uh, Devontae Wyatt has been an incredible disappointment, and I want to talk about him a little later in this keg segment. But Carl Brooks to me is, you know, every week he seems to flash, and he did again. This week, controlling the middle, uh, Carolina has ran the ball decently. Uh, you know, in terms, even though that they, you know, they do not have the best record, Chubba Hubbard's been pretty solid for them. And he was shut down for the greater part of the game. And credit there to Carl Brooks as well as others. And I, I think Carl Brooks is a guy that can really be special for Green Bay next year. Three kegs to Anders Carlson. Uh, you know, listen. I Durs hits the big field goal to win the game. He hits a 52-yarder, but he also missed an extra point. It's really frustrating to watch Andres Carlson because he can have just brain farts, and then he goes out and he makes a 52-yarder. He makes a game-winning field goal. And I just wish there was a little more consistency from Andres Carlson. That's all I'm asking for. If we get a little more consistency out of Andres Carlson, we really would be cooking with peanut oil. Uh, also three kegs of Jonathan Owens. Uh, Mr. Simone Biles, who was kind of tired of being called Mr. Simone Biles, took some heat uh, for the Pivot podcast, uh, basically saying he was the catch uh, over Simone Biles, which, look, man, like I, I love the confidence uh, from Jonathan Owens. Uh, he's a, He played well. Uh, I thought he you know, held his own in the middle of the field. I felt like a lot of the issues uh, in terms of where Bryce Young was getting free, we're on the edges. I felt like the corners were an absolute disaster um, and not really Jonathan Owens' fault. And so I, I liked, I kind of liked what I saw from Jonathan Owens in terms of controlling the middle. He did he did enough. And, you know, they they were doing a lot of it on the fringes. So I felt like he, again, similar to the Hubbard conversation or the Brooks conversation, like filled, filled well in the run. I uh, finished, I think, with eight tackles in the game. But yeah, solid stuff from Jonathan Owens. Two kegs to Jair Alexander. So the antics alone would give him low on the kegs, but then he also played like shit. Uh, Jair Alexander has been an incredible disappointment this year as well uh, to lump in with Wyatt, who's also a two kegger. Uh, it's just been bad, at, bad, bad moment after bad moment. Like Jair tried to push a guy out of bounds. I think it was, it was uh, Mehezet, former Viking, who scored the touchdown. Instead of actually tackling the guy, Jair tried to hit stick him and he pushed him into the end zone. Uh, he's just been bad, man. It doesn't look like he really wants to be here. Um, I look forward to Jair getting traded uh, in this offseason. I think he's going to be available for anybody that needs a corner. Um, and I think the Packers will make that move. I just think Jair is toxic and he's not a cornerback one. Uh, he's not ready to be a leader of a team. And it's too bad. And he's just lost what made him Jair and, and, and sort of made him in the player that we thought he was. Um, and I would have had a lot more Kieran and Valentine out there. I would have had Corey Valentine out there. I want guys that actually give a shit. And I don't think Jair does. Uh, I mentioned Devontae Wyatt, but yeah, I'm I'm all the way out of Devontae Wyatt. Um, I, the, we all thought, oh, the leap's happening. Oh, here we go. And nope, no, not really. Um, he's, he's a train wreck. Um, and that's that, not good. Um, and you can't really have that. So, because he was first round pick and he's been really the only misfire in the draft uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, one keg to Joe Barry's second half. Uh, yeah, we, we all know it. Uh, I don't know how much more we need to talk about it, but Bryce Young sliced and diced him all up and down the field and he did not adjust. He did not figure out ways to fluster Bryce Young. He did not, you know, adjust to what was going on. Um, just Joe Barry played a scheme and he was okay with it. And it caused me to lose my mind. Uh, that was so embarrassing to watch Joe Barry. I was embarrassed for the Packers. I couldn't believe that I cheer for this. I can't believe I have to go through this every week watching Joe Barry, you know, continually fuck up. It's like putting my dick through a vice grip 
each day that I watched Joe Barry. Uh, Matt LaFleur's second half wasn't any better, which is also a one keg. Matt LaFleur, I had no idea what he was doing in terms of clock management. Packers were up by two touchdowns. It was 30 to 16. They, the defense, you know, yeah, wasn't, it was good, not great. And all, and Green Bay had multiple opportunities to put that game away. And yet they were either passing the ball, they were not, you know, being sort of boring, not necessarily creative. And it led to multiple three and outs when they had opportunities to lay the hammer. They had multiple opportunities and they just refused to make this into a blowout. And it had all the makings. There were two opportunities. And it just, it was bad play calling by Matt LaFleur. And it, it just, it made no fucking sense. You know, Green Bay, 23 to 10, they get the ball. They go three and out. Aaron Jones run for five yards. Then Jordan Love gets sacked. Then an incompletion and they have to punt. So instead of running it with Aaron Jones again, who got five yards of carry on the first possession of the second half, they don't give him the ball. Love ends up taking a sack and then they have to punt. Carolina goes down and score. Packers get a score right back. Then it's 30 to 16. And you're like, okay, here is an area of opportunity. The door is open. Uh, and the pack, it's, I think, early fourth quarter at that point. So it's, and it's a two-score lead. Jordan Love, incomplete to Dobbs. They run it with A.J. Dillon, who is it was completely ineffective because of the thumb injury. A.J. Dillon, one-yard run, then a short incompletion to Bo Melton on a third and nine, and they had a punt again, and they, and they had a punt from their 12. They had terrible field position. They had a punt from their 12, and Carolina got a short field, which they get a touchdown on. But why are you passing the ball twice, and why are you letting A.J. Dillon run the ball in the fourth quarter when he's clearly blanked up. So then you get a touchdown and then another three and out where you have Aaron Jones for six yards. Then you pass to Patrick Taylor for one. And then Love again has an incompletion to Bo Melton on a third and five. Again, why the fuck aren't you running the ball with Aaron Jones yet again? And then Carolina will go down and get a touchdown. So you look at Green Bay's total second half besides their touchdown drive they had, it was a complete nightmare for Matt LaFleur. And I just, that that to me was almost as frustrating as Joe Barry. Uh, also, Joe and Barry hurting and helping relationships is a one keg. Uh, hurting relationships, my wife was watching with me and was telling me to settle down in the fourth quarter. Like I was just motherfucking the TV and she had to leave. She was like, you're out of control. And I'm like, I look, like I'm usually not this bad, but this man is causing me to lose my mind. Like, I, I really, like, I don't know. We're, I'm watching with friends next week for New Year's. My wife's going to be there. Um, I think I cannot be held responsible for a lot of things that are said under my, my mouth. Like, I feel like I need a permission slip uh, because it's going to be bad. And especially if Joe Barry ruins my New Year's. Like, if he, if he ruins my New Year's and the Vikings are alive in the playoffs, the Packers aren't. That's, that's how you ruin a New Year's. But, so that's, he's hurting a relationship that way. He's helping relationships. I stole this from Big Cat from Barstool. Was talking about how like Joe Barry was a godsend for Wisconsin families for Christmas because you had something to talk about. Like you didn't just have to talk to your aunt about the weather. You could talk to her how much she hates Joe Barry. Oh, I fucking hate that Barry. Oh yeah, what do you think about Barry? I, you know, I, I haven't seen a guy this bad since Lindy Infante. Um, yeah, you could have those conversations. Those were great. Um, so yeah, that that help that helps relationships. Uh, lastly, Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes just, so all I worried about with Eric Stokes all year was that he wasn't going to be ready to go till next year. Um, and so, I, and I think that holds true. And I'll be very curious to see if they go with Carrington Valentine next week. I think they should. I don't think Eric, Eric Stokes is a starter right now. I think that needs to be Carrington Valentine's spot um, and let Stokes rotate in. And why not let Stokes play, play slot corner? I know he's a big, big that'd be a big ass slot corner. But why not? I mean, Kishon Nixon has been terrible all year. And why wouldn't you let Stokes play that position? Who knows? Um, what do I know though, right? So anyways, that is Golden Kegs for uh, the Panthers game. And we will obviously have another one for the Minnesota Vikings next week. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks who also did not, well, they had an uneven Christmas weekend. Uh, they had the win against the Knicks on Saturday, which was a great win. And then they had a loss against the Knicks on Christmas Day. That led to the Ringers' sub-headline of their Christmas Day takeaways, calling the Bucks sputtering. 
Zach Cram wrote a blurb on the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and it's clear Zach Cram just watched Christmas. He just watched Christmas. Zach Cram has not watched the Bucks in the last 10 games. Um, Bucks are eight and ten or eight and two, by the way, in their last 10. And it was just embarrassing uh, from the ringer. And it's similar stuff that they've done this year with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, did the Milwaukee Bucks play well on Christmas? No, they did not. They were slow out the gates. The Knicks wanted to punch them in the face after what the Bucks have done the last two times they've played. They wanted to kind of make a statement. This is the fifth time these two teams have played each other in two months. And the Knicks wanted to send, or four times, sorry, this is their fourth time. But still, the Knicks wanted to send a message. And they did. And they were in complete control of that game. The Bucs had opportunities to come back. They never were able to kind of make it over that hump. And there are just some days, some games in the NBA where it's just not your night. And it wasn't the Bucks' night. But that said, there shouldn't be a bunch of think pieces on the Bucs losing. That was their first loss in the last eight games. They had a seven-game win streak heading into that game. Um, they've looked united and they're playing really well. Like... I think you can't talk about the struggles of Monday night with uh, Monday afternoon, excuse me, without acknowledging what they did on Saturday. Saturday against that same Knicks team was a pure, unfiltered ass kicking. Like that was a marble red type performance from the Milwaukee Bucks. They were in complete control of that game from start to finish, and they looked like they were on another level than the New York Knicks. They got a, they've been scoring over 130 points in the last or seven of the first 11 games in December. How the fuck is that sputtering? And I said it, uh, you know, in terms of a quote tweet, like the ringer, if the ringer just wants to hire somebody in the upper Midwest, I'm not saying myself, right? I, I'm not that talented, but like hire somebody to just cover the flyover states. Hire somebody to, to talk Wolves basketball, talk about the Pacers, talk about the Bulls, talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, talk about this crazy Pistons season. Uh, talk about their, the football that's going on there. And I think that, you know, the upper Midwest, there isn't just enough people covering those teams. And there are enough people that want to take the time to actually watch Bucks basketball because they want to watch Denver or they want to watch Minnesota or they want to watch Chicago even. Like they, they want to watch teams that are in our time slot instead of actually taking the time and saying, well, I'll watch the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'll, I'll form some opinions on what they're doing in a non-national televised game. I think that hurts you as a analyst. And I think so many people show their ass because they don't actually watch the Bucks on a night-to-night -night basis. And I'm not saying you have to watch every game. I'm not saying you have to be a Ryan Russell, right? But I'm, not, I'm also saying you can't just watch the games that are on ESPN. Like you gotta go and do the research. And it's clear that Zach Cram, who's a data guy, did not actually go and do the research and called it sputtering. That's fucking bullshit. And so I, I'm really just fed up with it. I did like what I saw from Sam Vecini, who writes for The Athletic. He does their draft stuff. Uh, he said this, and I, I really, the Bucks are in such a weird spot with the discourse surrounding them. They're clearly awesome. Yeah, Lillard and Giannis are getting way better in ball screen synergy. Middleton has looked awesome for a month now. They're 22 and eight, and yet, so few few people have faith in them. It's strange. Like, they have issues to fix. Certainly go out and upgrade the big defensive guard win. I'm still super spectacle of Griffin. But also, they have an enormous margin for error with their core. Feels weird that I see, I rarely see people talk about them positively with the 22-8 and eight team. It was just an awesome stuff from Zach, and I, or uh, from Sam, excuse me. And I really, really liked the fact that that was said. Now I saw, uh, it was MK Robert, uh, who's a Bucks Twitter guy, talk about how it's it, the first round is in their, their heads, like of last year, the Bucks blowing it. And I kind of wondered like, are the Bucks the NBA version of Purdue right now, right? Purdue is killing everybody. Purdue's been awesome. They had a loss to Northwestern, but it was in overtime. But Purdue has been an absolute murder machine this season. They beat Alabama, they beat Marquette, uh, they beat Arizona. Um, they've looked like the best team in college basketball by a long shot. That said, 
when March rolls around, no one's going to believe in fucking Purdue because of what happened last season and they lost to Fairleigh Dickinson. But they are as good of a basketball team that I have seen college-wise in quite a while. And I just, I, it's hard for me to not think that Purdue is going to be at least an Elite Eight team. And so I think when it comes to that, no one's going to believe that. And that's the same with the box, right? Like, I don't think people are going to fully believe in the box until they do something on national TV. And that's so fucking frustrating that you have to do it there, that you have to see it differently. But that's the world we live in. It's this weird pay for play of like, we got to see it against the best or we're not going to believe you. It really fucking sucks, man. Um, because I think we, I just think in general, you want your team to be liked, right? Like there is a weird thing about it in fans where you can be like, ah, disrespect, disrespect. But when you see it enough and enough, you're like, give me a fucking break. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe we're going to have to wait till that Celtics game and the Bucks lay down the hammer in, in that game and, and maybe things will change. Uh, as for the rest of the week for the Bucks, uh, they play Brooklyn tonight. Uh, maybe no Giannis. Uh, he's questionable with a calf injury. So it could be a, a good good one to rest the big man. Uh, Brooklyn's a pretty small team. So it's definitely a, a night where you do not necessarily need both Giannis and Brook. Uh, they're also coming off a back-to-back where they played against the lowly Pistons and they had to tra- travel for one and now they're coming back. Uh, so, and you had Christmas in the mix for that. So it's a lot, you know, for that Nets team. And they're not exactly playing the best ball either. Um, and then... I, after that, they, they have Cleveland before heading home to against Indiana for the two showdown games against the Pacers. Uh, Cleveland's been, again, another team that's been sputtering a bit. They've had some illness on their team. They haven't really been fully loaded for the last couple games. Uh, Garland's out with a jaw injury, right? And Evan Mobley's also out. So they're kind of a shell of themselves on their own right. But we'll see if they get Donovan Mitchell back, who uh, they played they played a night too. So we'll see if Donovan Mitchell comes back. Uh, from his illness uh, that he had pre-Christmas. Uh, usually not helpful to have an illness right around the holiday season. Doesn't usually seem to get better. But that will be Friday night uh, for for the Bucks before heading home, uh, like I said, and having the weekend off, which is kind of nice. But I have to think for New Year's Eve, uh, Giannis is locking everybody in. Like, I think he would do an escape room if he, if he could. Maybe not. Escape room is probably a bad example. Or like... Um, I'm trying to think what else, what could you basically like Giannis invites everybody over and is like, we're not leaving. Like I'm, he's like, keys, keys. I'm collecting keys. Like everybody's staying. Like no one's calling their drivers. Like we are going to have a good time. We're going to go. You guys are going to go home at a respectable hour. I'm going to track your phones and we're, and we're going to come out and we're going to give Indiana like 190. I hope that to be the case. We'll, we'll certainly have to see. It does help to the games at like seven. So even if they do go out, like there's there's opportunity for recovery. Uh, let's just put it that way. All right, let's wrap up today's show uh, with the Marquette Golden Eagles. I, I'm not going to do grades. I'm sorry for those who are unfamiliar. Uh, usually we do grades uh, A, B, C, D, and F uh, for the Marquette performance, but because uh, the game was so long ago, I, I don't want to exactly do that. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that stood out to me. Uh, we're also going to talk about, you know, what's ahead with the game against Creighton this Saturday, which I cannot wait for. Very excited uh, for that matchup and be in the building for it. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing that matchup with my own eyes. It was there last year uh, when they played Creighton, and it was a lot of fun. It was a Friday night. Uh, Creighton had mono and we kicked their ass. And that was kind of the sign that, okay, Marquette might be a wagon. And now this year it's, you know, you have the real rivalry, I think, with Creighton um, and the fact that it's, you know, a a big time matchup. So I won't talk, I already talked enough about it probably, honestly. Uh, We'll certainly talk more on Friday um, when we get ready for it. Um, As for the game against Georgetown, uh, you know, 81 to 51, an absolute beat, beat down by Marquette, uh, it just really a great example of taking care of business and not playing with your food. Uh, they started off a little bit slow and then they went on just a complete run, uh, outscored Georgetown by 20 points and the route was on pretty much from there. Georgetown really never got air to breathe and Marquette just took out all their frustrations. 
that they had from the Providence game and even really the St. Thomas game. And it, it was a true example of a get-right game. And I, I think that those are the type of games that give you a lot of confidence, you know, heading into, you know, the tough Big East schedule because those are the wins you kind of have to have. You know, when you're playing the bottom tier of the Big East, you got to get those wins at home. And Marquette definitely did that. And they're playing Georgetown at the right time. I think Georgetown, in when they, they play Marquette in February in D.C., I think that's going to be a harder matchup. And I think Georgetown will be improved. And I think Georgetown will continue to get better as the year goes on. And Cooley's a great coach. And I, I think he's a, he's a little bit of a, I wouldn't say he's a snake oil salesman. He just sells himself a little bit too much. Like he kind of whores himself out. Let's just put it that way. Like Ed Cooley's tits are always out. Ed, if Ed Cooley had a profession that wasn't a head coach, he'd be an Instagram model. That's, do you guys get the point? Okay. So yeah, anyways, I, I really do think that, you know, the Marquette taking care of business there was exactly the kind of confidence I needed as a fan. And I think they needed for that, that example. Uh, my biggest takeaway though, is David Joplin regained his confidence. Uh, that to me is a huge thing from this one. Uh, 20 points, nine rebounds. Uh, he had three offensive rebounds. Uh, the so our locker room clip from the game afterwards with Shock Smart talking about how David Joplin did not have had three rebounds all year, three offensive rebounds all year, and then he gets three offensive rebounds in this game, uh, which was really cool to see. Um, and they were just mobbing him and having a great time. And you know, if they found a way to kind of unlock David Joplin's confidence, that's a huge development for Marquette going forward. I kind of have to have it on a wait and see basis, right? Like, can he do it against? Uh, Creighton next week. Uh, can he do it against Seton Hall on the road the following week? Like those are the things you're gonna have to see from David Joplin before you're fully convinced that like, oh yeah, this is this is back. We're back to what David Joplin was. And credit to Marquette though, credit for them for identifying it, getting it kind of back to where it needs to be, and definitely a a good get right spot there for David Joplin. Also, Yudara had a good bounce back as well. Uh, after sort of disappearing against Providence, a really strong day for Oso. I think he finished what with. I'm trying to think. I had the I had the box score up, and then of course I started bouncing around uh, for that. But Oso Oso had a strong day. Uh, he finished with what that was that eleven? No, thirteen points. Uh, he also again three or four from the free throw line. I keep telling you, Oso's making his free throws, but he was really effective uh, early on in this game. Set the tone. Uh, and again, that's what you need against a bad team. And you need those guys to kind of get going early and deliver the punch and let them not think for one iota that they have a chance. And also Gadara did just that. So that was a good, good encouraging game from him. And obviously going to be a big test next on Saturday on Kalbrenner. Uh, ben Gold uh, had some big threes early in the game. He had nine points overall. Uh, but the thing that I noticed about Ben Gold's threes was there was some arch to it. Uh, I, th I think it was my guy Mosh was talking about how like Ben Gold's threes are super flat and how there's just no arc to him at all. That might have been somebody else, but I'll give Mosh the credit. And now you're starting to see a little bit of arc from Ben Gold, and that's exciting. Like if he's kind of working in the lab and getting that that arch a little bit more, like that makes him a different kind of player. And he's still not as physical, I think, as we'd want him to be. But if he can give you, you know three threes a game, you're probably going to take that. Like if you get nine points from Ben Gold each game, I think you're going to win a lot of those games. And he's again, another guy with Kyle Brenner going to be vital. And if you can pull Kyle Brenner out and dare him to be out on the three-point line with Ben Gold, I think that's going to make things really difficult for Creighton. Now, Schneider, Shireman probably takes, takes Gold in that scenario, but I don't know, maybe not. And, and so we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with Ben Gold, especially his shot, which looks a little different. Another blowout where Tyler Kulik probably gets a triple-double if he played longer. Now Marquette, these guys did play like 30 minutes in this game. So maybe I'm, you know, selling Tyler a little bit too hard, but 13 points, 10 rebounds, five, five or 10 assists, 
five rebounds. He also had three steals. Just an awesome stat line for Kolek. Uh, was getting in the paint. Uh, was doing some great things, you know, in terms of spreading the ball around. Uh, Marquette, only after having seven assists in the game against Providence, which is something I ragged on last week in the pod, they had 22 in this one. Uh, Kolek led the way with 10 of them. But that just kind of shows you, again, you know, Marquette almost needed the reset. I, I wonder... I hope that Providence was this reset. Like, I hope Providence was this reset that they needed and that that sort of, you know, in the past. And that has sort of been flushed, you know, going forward. We'll certainly have to see. And then lastly, the last one I had there was just Chase Ross. Uh, Really no effects to that ankle injury. Looked bad, remember, uh, against Providence, but there was no real signs of it. He had nine points in the game. uh, Pulled down four rebounds, had two assists. Also had four steals. Uh, really solid game all around for Chase Ross, uh, who continues to look like a guy who can start. Um, and I know Payne Touches wrote a really good article explaining why David Joplin kind of needs to go to the bench when Stevie Mitchell's healthy. We'll see if Stevie Mitchell can come back against Creighton. I kind of think he will. Um, I, I still, I don't know. After the game Joplin played, now I'm kind of back to, okay, Joplin should be not on the bench, but maybe you play him with the bench guys. I'm not, I, 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 they might have to just screw with their rotations a little bit, but I think you want Dave Joplin out there. So uh, we'll certainly have to see if Stevie Mitchell does come back for that game against Creighton. And arguably, I would assume that might, that's probably the biggest game of the day on Saturday. So I, Saturday, I think there's a swath of games, obviously, but I have to think that, that is the biggest one. Yes, according to Ken Palm, that is easily, the biggest game of the day. Uh, the throw score of 76 uh, for Ken Palm and on CBS, on big CBS. So yeah, the biggest games of the day that you have are, you have Pittsburgh-Syracuse. Man, not, not that exciting. Sorry, Shaken. Uh, Virginia Tech-Wake Forest. So ACC play starts. Liberty-Bama, which isn't on TV. That's wild. That game isn't even on TV. Michigan State, Indiana State. Oh, we got Bird and Magic, so we'll do that whole thing. Uh, St. Bonaventure, Akron, not bad, but I don't think anyone who like isn't a college basketball head will give a shit. Uh, same with, let's see, what else we got? Princeton, Delaware, and then Oregon, UCLA, which is the other CBS game. Does CBS have a triple header? Let's see, do they have a third game? Let's see here. It doesn't look like it. They might have a bowl game or something early on and that's why they're not doing a, th- a third game but yeah it's cool to be on big cbs you know that's it's always fun right uh no it doesn't appear that cbs has an 11 11 o'clock start now uh, whatever that doesn't matter i i get i always get nerdy about the schedule which is probably to my own detriment but anyways that will do it for today's show uh we will be back tomorrow we'll recap bucks uh nets I do want to do like a like Wisconsin wrapped for the year. Haven't decided how I want to do it. Uh, if we want to do best and worst moments on one of the days, uh, if we're going to do a like best games uh, and worst games for that matter, um, and sort of do it that way. Uh, but yeah, that's coming down the pipeline. So it might be Friday. I might just take up all Friday show to do that. Uh, it might be tomorrow. I might be part of tomorrow. I know I'm going to get a special guest with me one of the days hopefully uh to do a tap in the keg so stay tuned for that but yeah take care guys appreciate everything hope you guys had a great christmas um and yeah was we'll be here all week uh we're not taking the time off so don't worry we took off enough time now we're back in the saddle all right take care have a good one bye